0: Welcome to the Invisible Oranges podcast. Uh, Today we have Langdon Hickman and Joseph April, me, uh, joining in today. And we're going to have a discussion about the long and journeyed history of Judas Priest, one of metal's most legendary bands, um, who are now celebrating, well, would have been celebrating their 50th anniversary of a world tour, which I think has now been delayed to next year. Um, But yeah. Well, so long
1: as one person on every continent listens to their records at some point this year, it's like a world tour.
0: (laughs) Maybe maybe they'll do a streaming show, and technically it'll have been played (laughs) everywhere, so it'll (laughs) count. Um, But yeah, let's let's dive into it. Uh, Langdon, in 2020, when someone says Judas Priest, what's your first thought? That's a that's a good question. I I've hardwired my
1: brain to immediately think of sin after sin whenever I think about mm. Judas Priest. But this is like just a pure gut reaction, and I'm like, which probably doesn't even answer your question well. Like I've there there's such a big there's such a big thing for me that uh mm. like I think immediately like oh yes yeah, sin after sin fuck I love that record ah oh, what a what a good. What a good goddamn record. Uh, And then immediately, uh, my brain's like, what about about these seven other ones that you love? And I'm like, yes. (gasps) And it's like, and these four (laughs) other ones that you think are pretty good. (laughs) And then eventually someone, uh, it'll be someone in your position who's like, hey, I heard about this Judas Priest. What do you think about them? And they'll realize that I've been just staring blankly into space with my mouth open. And I haven't (laughs) said anything to them yet. And they're like, are you?
0: Are you okay? Are you okay, man? Nice. Um. Yeah, I mean, you. Uh, wh- you know, when I think of Jews Priest in 2020, I think probably the main thing I think, along with like Maiden, sort of like the last, uh, sort of like universal band in metal that everyone can kind of pull their banner around. That's still going. Um, yeah. You know, Sabbath is done, um, Ozzy is, uh, I mean, we'll see about his health conditions, but in many ways is done, um, Motorhead is dead, um, I mean, quite literally, um, so in terms of those bands that were bigger than life, uh, you know, and and there's other ones, I mean, we can still think of the Scorpions, but I think when we think of, like, the biggest names in metal, um... You know, with Sabbath gone and Motorhead gone, um, Priest and Maiden kind of come to the spot. It's like the ones that are still tour, still put albums out, and, and you know, in but the last Priest album still can prove that they're relevant. Still can prove yeah. that they can put an album out that metalheads will care about, and it's not just you know, it's not just nostalgia, and it's not just, nor is it playing to the to any kind of modern trend.
1: Yeah, I think that the the response to Firepower was such a such like a pleasantly positive one because I feel like at least for me, like I got the record pretty much right as it came out cuz I was like new Judas Priest. Like I if I can yeah. pick up Nostradamus when it's new and give it a listen, <laughs> I I I can do that for. And especially cuz I thought Redeemer of Souls was a pretty strong record. It wasn't like the best one they'd ever put out, but I was I was incredulous about changing, you know, one of, you know, Downing and Tipton, who are like probably the best guitar duo in heavy metal. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think that's a like, there are maybe a couple that you can say are in the same echelon, but I don't think it's really even hyperbolic to call them like the best or the most important one. Um, right. But you know, replacing one of those two is obviously very incredulous of it, like I think everyone was. And then Redeemer is like, you uh, honestly you did way better than i was expecting given that and so uh you know sort of sat down with firepower listened to it for you know a couple of days and i expected that it was going to be kind of like with modern day iron maiden where like i hold the kind of unpopular opinion that like i love the reunion period of iron maiden it's probably my mm-hmm. favorite period i don't think it's like capital B the best period, like the most important maiden records are obviously that golden age in the eighties. But I personally Mm -hmm. like from brave new world forward, the most just sits closest to the kind of shit that I like the most. And I expected that firepower is going to be the same where it's like, Oh, I'm digging it a lot, but you know, I'm going to look around and I'm going to see some middling stuff and I'm just going to have to accept that. So then I started looking around and I was seeing people being like, this is their best one since painkiller. And Mm -hmm. I'm also loving it. And I'm like, oh that guy also agrees that's interesting and then the next one was like best one since painkiller honestly one of their best records should go up there with like defenders of the faith as like a must-have and i'm like what And and then (laughs) like i feel like everyone kind of felt that way where it's like looking around and everyone's like very tentatively being like yo is this one actually like really really good and everyone else is like Yo, I thought I was the only one who thought that. Yes, oh my god! Like,
0: it, it was a surprise. And I mean, Redeemer of Souls, I, I really enjoyed. Um, but you know, that did come off of Angel of Retribution. I not actually probably one of my favorites. Is as much as I do like some tracks off of it. And then Nostradamus is is kind of that one album that yeah. everyone's kind of like eh it was an experiment like uh what can you say big,
1: big ups to them uh, for taking a swing for the fences like nothing but respect but i don't spin that record
0: <laughs> yeah yeah i mean i remember first time i saw them live i think they played a track from it and i think one other time i saw them play one track from it but uh, i mean they know it's not really a fan favorite um but yeah it, it, it like you know and i thought you know Redeemer of Souls was going to be probably the best modern priest could get. And then firepower happened. It was just like, damn. Um, And again, that trepidation where it's like, you know, we knew that Tipton was kind of out of the picture and, you know, obviously he was involved in the studio work for that. Yeah. You know, I think, and I do like, I have a friend who was just like, KK's out, Tipton's out. Uh, I'm not going to go see them. Like, I don't care. And, you know, And I can't blame him for that, where it's like the two main driving forces musically in the band being gone. Uh, I can't blame him for that. But to me, it was um, so amazing, the new album. And then seeing them live twice touring for that album. It it was just like, yeah, there's no drop in quality uh, with this band somehow. Yeah, it's
1: it's and it's shocking how many times they've done this kind of thing, because it's obviously the the standard arc that we expect with Golden Age bands, um mm-hmm. Golden Age, not necessarily of heavy metal, but like of any genre you have, you know, your early peak period. And then after that, it's the long tail of like devoted fans are going to care about it, but maybe not other people like Deep Purple mm-hmm. just put out a new record. And if you're a Deep Purple fan, whoosh is a good record but i'm not going to expect to see someone like suddenly go like yo i checked out the new deep purple like i'm not gonna uh, no one reasonably expects that the scorpions are another one where like they have their absolutely legendary run and they still make stuff but you know you don't really you don't even really expect major publications to be like hey check out the new scorpions record because it's sort of you Mm -hmm. you agree to and every now and again, you have sort of the double hump thing where it's like, oh, maybe they have, you know, a late career comeback or, you know, they had, you know, they slipped for a little bit or maybe and, you know, then they rejuvenate. But Priest is a weird one where they keep like their their career looks like a sine wave, at least to to mm-hmm. like a lay understanding of it. I I think there's a lot more like good to great material in even the stuff that nominally gets overlooked with judas Mm -hmm. priest but um yeah it's 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 odd how they seem to consistently be able to refresh themselves over again this is like this is a five decade span now
0: Mm -hmm. yeah it's uh, it's very impressive i mean early you know in another podcast we were talking about sir in terms of just how a band can come out of nowhere so it's not god (laughs) headed. uh in terms of a band having been there for a while and really being up there in age but still delivering in a way that to a modern audience still appreciates it um and priest you know along with maiden probably being the biggest examples of that other than maybe throwing in like metallica or something but that's kind of its own beast um but uh, but yeah, it's did you catch any of the shows they did in promotion of uh, Firepower? I'm so this is
1: the, probably the most shameful admission I can make. The two bands that I've never seen live are Judas Priest and Metallica. They're wow. both. I, I don't even know how, because like <laughs> I love them both. I love them way more than bands that I've seen like six or seven times. But I just mm-hmm. like I kept. I even I had the ability to see the Judas Priest Motorhead Heaven and Hell package tour, Mm. and I didn't, because I am the dumbest person on the face (laughs) of the earth. Like (laughs) Dio died after that.
0: Like I, I, the only time I ever got to see you know again. Speaking of people who aren't here anymore, uh, I, I got to see Dio once. It wasn't that tour, but it was Heaven and Hell. I think with like Megadeth and Machine Head opening um and yeah that Still was the a only damn time i ever got to see dio um and it's it, i've been fortunate i've seen priests a number of times um i kind of wish i could have like i didn't get to see them when they first reunited um and i really sh- i could have seen them during then um just before i went to college going to shows was difficult just in terms of uh the regulations my parents put in place In terms of yeah. what I could and couldn't do And uh, You know, I wasn't, I wasn't willing to get grounded For life um, <laughs> To steal the car and go to <laughs> You know, somewhere to see priests um, Part of the problem was just My dad was in the military at the time So he couldn't really take me to shows Because he was just paranoid about Being around people smoking pot Because, uh, you yeah. know, they're very strict With the uh, drug testing um and who knows, maybe that was just his paranoia, but um <laughs> but yeah, I, I can't recommend enough seeing priests and Metallica. Metallica I kind of get not seeing them just because their tickets are usually pretty expensive. Even yeah, that, the cheap that had seats. always
1: been that had always been sort of the big thing for for Metallica. Like obviously they <laughs> it's it's uh the amount of esteem that I have for those first four Metallica records mm-hmm. is uh they're functionally holy texts to me so like i could Same. i could muscle i could muscle through a saint anger song and i i've even <laughs> i forced my brain to not hate load and reload which is amazing considering i never thought that was possible mm. but uh yeah then i look at like a cheap ticket is like 200 plus bucks
0: and well not that bad but it's definitely like after like the ticket master fees and everything it's like at the at the cheapest you're looking at probably 75 bucks um, which is not, you know, it's, it's not a breeze for most people. Yeah. And that's um, not counting transport and parking yep. and blah, 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 yep. blah All the, but, you like, know, are I, you I,
1: real, really going to go to Metallica and not get a shirt? Like,
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Priests I've seen a number of times. The, the funny is the last, I saw them. Uh, you know, you mentioned Deep Purple. Um, I think one of the tours, maybe not the first tour they did, but the second tour they did in support of Firepower was that co-headline tour with Deep Purple. Um, and I went that up. That sounds to, killer. Yeah, I had never seen Deep Purple before, so I thought, okay, this kind of works. I, I was a little disappointed that it was going to be Purple headlining, which you know, sure, co-headline, but whoever plays last gets to play longer. Yeah. Um, so I was a little bit disappointed by that. And sure enough, uh, I, I went up to the Bay Area and saw them up there. Um, just cause, uh, I, I, I'm at a point now where it's just more convenient for a big show to like fly up and spend it with friends in the Bay than try to get leave from work and deal with LA traffic on a weekday. I've um, heard about that from other friends who live in LA where it's like,
1: I'd rather fly around in a plane and literally deal with a uh, plane timing because you know,
0: yeah. Well, and then it just becomes an excuse to spend a weekend with friends somewhere. Yeah. So it's like, okay, yeah, why not? Uh, and, and literally I did that twice. Cause so that tour seen purple, um, which was great, but it was interesting how more people were clearly there for Priest Cause after Priest finished, like a good third of the crowd left, um, which was interesting. Uh, and Purple was good, but, um, you know, Gilliam, uh, the singer, is, his voice is definitely not what he used to be. And even less so than, like, Halford, um, who you can't hit the high highs he used to, um, at least live. Um, but but Halford's definitely, I think, still able to do a lot more um, of the uh, vocal acro- acrobatics as it were there's um, also a
1: level of like of of presence that he has that makes up for a lot of like any technical foibles that come with age versus it's frustrating because like with deep purple especially their current lineup like i the biggest reason to go see them is to see like steve morse yeah. um but and you know they, they have a killer drummer now too but unfortunately like they're because of the fact that they're a legacy band you have you know, the brief window when John Lord was still alive, but he was also, you know, declining. Um totally understand We've been active for decades. And then, you know, in, in a legendary but aging vocalist where it's
0: mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That's it's... that can be
0: rough. But <laughs> well, it, it it not and I think that impression got left not even so much in other songs they sang, which which really sounded fine. Like maybe he was in a slightly deeper register, but uh, I almost feel like any time they do Highway Star, they should get a guest vocalist, because when he just tries to do that, that, you know, opening note, it's just like, nope, not working. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, Priest, seeing them live, it is really amazing. Um, I mean, obviously, every band has Bad Nights, and I'm sure Halford has those, but, um, you know, I think most nights, he really does pull it off. Yeah. Um, and like you said, it's the showmanship, um, which is always something with a pre-show. Uh, and again, can't recommend enough seeing them. Where it's like every second or third song, he goes for a wardrobe change and comes back <laughs> out with something else. And like the last one, like he did a whole thing where he was dressed up like a like a New Orleans like um, voodoo doctor kind of thing um for one song which i was just like why is he wearing this <laughs> like it makes, it makes no sense but uh it's amazing still like just it's cool um one of you know, the things pre- i find oh you go on no 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 oh, go ahead
1: oh uh, it's i i something that i always think about with judas priest that i find really really funny is is since 1990 with painkiller mm-hmm. they one they're so, I, 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 was a drummer growing up and I, you know, would pay attention to the, the drums on a metal records a lot because, duh, they fucking rule. Um, but you have like this revolving door early on in Judas Priest's lineup where it's like yep. seemingly every record, they have a different drummer. And you even yep. have the brief mystifying window where you have a fusion legend in Simon Phillips being the drummer for Sin After Sin, which, mm-hmm makes no sense if you know about like the, the history of Simon Phillips's career. Like this is a guy who plays with like Hiromi Uehara and like jazz fusion groups. Like he's been a member of Toto. And then it's like, yeah, I also (laughs) cut a record with Judas Priest. (laughs) And it's like that. Um, but then obviously their, their current drummer they've had for the past 30 years, you know, it's far and away. Like (laughs) the band would have to last for another 30 plus years in order to have a drummer that's, that's been on the throne for longer. Um, and i just find it very fascinating that it's it's the guy from racer x like it's it's more like the weird trajectory that racer x had in terms of birthing like you know because that's the the birthing place of paul gilbert as a uh contemporary guitarist who you know has gone on to do a bunch of things and then that's where like juan alderetta got his start who eventually became the bassist for the mars volta and it's just it's very weird thinking about like the Racer X connection and how it sort of splintered off into Judas Priest, Mars Volta, you have uh Paul Gilbert cutting a bunch of records with uh like a Christian Prague guy named Neil Morse, and it's just like, I don't know, I find that uh the ears they must have had, I mean obviously this is also shown across the the career of Judas Priest, the ear to the ground uh method that they've had in terms of refreshing the band sound. Mm-hmm. To be able to like grab a, a fairly underground drummer and be like, no, you, especially given like the platform they gave him with that like like thunderous drum intro to to Painkiller, where yeah. they were like they knew exactly what they had. They were like, no, this is this is our guy. It's like
0: well, that it's, reads
1: as though they're yeah. like he's going to be our drummer for thirty years.
0: <laughs> yeah. It well, and you know, and the fact that you know he came on with Painkiller and then you know the situation they were in with that, you know, only what a year or two later, Halford left and that being such a huge change. And, you know, obviously some people still fans of that, of the Tim Ripper Owens uh, era. Um, But, you know, obviously the band's kind of fallen apart. It's certainly fallen off a bit of its pedestal at that point. Um, That, you know, one of the four longest-serving guys in the band being gone, and again, anytime the yeah. vocalist changes, yeah, it's a massive change in a band. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's massive when you're not
1: legendary. I mean, we, yeah. we look at like the the intense scrutiny that like Skeleton Witch was under, or like in in more of a rock space that talk were in. Um, and those are you know, it's relatively recent examples, and those are good or, like. Like, they're they're good bands, I, I like them, but they're nowhere near Judas Priest, especially, like, coming off of the high of Painkiller, which was, mm-hmm. like, became at that point sort of far and away their their critically most favored record. I think it was their most commercially successful record. Actually, I think it was their second most, because I, I think it was, like, Defenders of the Faith or something was, like, sold Whoops. shockingly well, but...
0: Yeah. I mean, if you know, if we want to for a little here, like really dive deeper into Painkiller, I, I think that would be appropriate because we'll, we'll see when this gets released. But obviously, <laughs> pretty pretty soon from the recording of this, it's going to be the 30th anniversary of Painkiller's release, um, and you know, it it even then, it's it's sort of amazing that a band like Judas Priest, um, you know, that had quite the success in the 70s and then had this mega success they had in the 80s and, and within that time frame did reinvent themselves once or twice to then kind of go through another reinvention while still keeping intact their Legacy and to put out an album like Painkiller where it's like, here's an album that can go, that can play toe-to-toe with like Metallica, that can play that kind of level I mean, the fact that, like, you know, when they went touring with it, Pantera opened for them. And in yeah. a way, it's like, OK, Pantera, Cowboys from Hell opening for Painkiller Tour. Yeah, that makes sense. Like, it just makes sense. Um, you know, in that coming on the heels of Turbo and Ram It Down, especially with Turbo, where it was very much them playing up, uh, you know, associations with glam and um, and them trying to be probably the most commercial they ever tried to be um, and you know, it, it, and we can talk about that too because I, I think Turbo is underrated and we discussed this elsewhere that yeah. Turbo is an underrated album and I think you know it's you know it, it would be unfortunate if anyone's like Painkiller rules Turbo sucks like I, I think anyone who thinks that should reevaluate things and yes Painkiller is amazing but you there's definitely some gold to be found in Turbo, um, yeah. but before diving into yeah. that, just um, <laughs> just what's what's your thoughts when you think back to an album like Painkiller in terms of like how it came out at the time, what kind of album it meant for Priests, you know, at that point in their career, and and how that's you know how we look at that now.
1: So. Obviously, they were they were they were kind of on on shaky uh, shaky ground after Ram It Down because as much as the narrative at the time was that Ram It Down was sort of the return to form for the group after Turbo, um, which is funny and uh, incredibly ahistorical, but th- mm-hmm. the band themselves helped promote that view. So it's it's important yeah. to keep in mind that even though that's completely. Um, and the reason why I say historical is because it was recorded at the same time as Turbo, because originally yep. that was, that's a fairly well-known story for anyone who knows Judas Priest, and it's on Wikipedia, so it's like, it's, it's not obscure at all. But they originally intended that to be a double record called Twin Turbo, mm-hmm. um, because even the perception that Turbo was sort of, a them playing up the commercial end of the band while it's technically true it's not like they never had a commercial end like oh, screaming well, for yeah. vengeance and defenders of the faith are partly derived from smoothing out those edges and giving mm-hmm. themselves like a mirror polish and we even have again going back to sin after sin uh, sort of the running theme of 70s uh 70s priest was you're gonna have like a third of the records going to be ballads and so mm-hmm. like they they were never like, they toured, with, they toured with Led Zeppelin in the 70s. Like, they, they never shied away from commercialism. But the whole idea of we're going to put... The initial idea of, like, oh, we're going to spread out these songs over two discs. It's going to have really heavy bits and really commercial bits. And it's going to... And then, you know, you get standard record label being like, ah, I don't really know... Uh, so they put all the commercial stuff onto one disc and then get mm-hmm. to play it off when their fans were like, what the, what the fuck? Uh, they were like, no, just kidding. Ram it down time. But even still sort of, I don't want to say the damage had been done, although I guess that's technically true that in a lot of people's eyes, the brand was damaged, especially mm-hmm. because in the late eighties, you had, you had thrash, you had the beginnings of death metal, you had the very beginnings of black metal. So, Uh, the heavy metal spectrum was also changing a lot that for them to it it reads as a more radical reinvention than it really was because if you listen to Ram It Down back to back with Painkiller you go oh Mm. these these ideas were there like you were interested in and you, you can even read interviews with them where they're like they were paying attention to Metallica they were paying attention to Megadeth they were like they were well aware of this stuff but they clearly didn't quite know how to bring it in and it's funny because again for me the primary change seems to be more three three little things that all came together at once Mm -hmm. one the drummer change like um god i i forget his name which is uh (laughs) makes me (laughs) <laughs> makes me furious i can only think of the guy who got arrested recently scott travis there we go yep. um scott travis was not the one who got arrested he's the guy I'm painkiller forward <laughs> yes <laughs> to, to clarify yes. for anyone um that getting him and them clearly knowing from listening to listening to racer x records and hearing like both the insane amount of chops that he had but also his ability to play very very heavy heavy in a way that they didn't have from the drums before mm-hmm. and I don't think this is really that shocking of, of a thought. Um, at least for me, a lot of heavy playing comes more from the drummer than from the guitarist. Like, you can put, like, this very gentle touch behind a really heavy riff, and it'll come across, like, radio rock, versus you get, you know, a drummer really, like, pounding the, li- the living hell out of the drums behind it, and suddenly yeah. it can feel like death metal. Um, mm-hmm. Then you have... Uh, the guitarists of Judas Priest learning how to sweep pick um and it, it's worth it's worth noting like even a being like painkiller versus like thrash records at the time they weren't doing crazy sweeps or anything um so like if you look at it from like a broader perspective it's almost shocking how how that could have been perceived as like a radical change considering it's like they're throwing in these little sweeps only every now and again but it's it's also again worth remembering that judas priest was such an established sound Mm -hmm. that even that one little change all of a sudden like it um and then the the production shift of it like they they finally learned how to get that sharper meatier production it almost feels as though painkiller is them just like fine-tuning ram it down and going like we knew exactly what we wanted to do, but it didn't quite work. And then just all the little changes were exactly what they needed for that image to sort of like like pop out. Yeah. Especially when you look at the deep cuts of the record, because like we focus obviously on on the title track. For obvious mm-hmm. reasons. It's legendary, one of the greatest metal songs of all time. No knock to that. But then you have like you have like Leather Rebels but like an oh, album yeah. track, like any other band, that would be a lead single. That's a killer track.
0: Well, and it's funny, too, because like I remember how uh, I think there was an interview with Ripper where he said it was always a tragedy that like a touch of evil never got more radio play because it really does work as a good single. Um, but it never quite picked up. But but it, it Painkiller is one of those amazing albums where there's no filler i feel like yeah i can throw on any one of those tracks which i can't even necessarily i could say for what i consider like the best of priests which is why i would include in Pink Killer, but i can't say that for every pre-salm there's definitely pre-salms where there's some tracks where i'm like eh, I, I could skip it Pink Killer, it's like no uh, every track is golden i could take any track and put it on like a custom playlist and it's a good track um like it, it's truly is one of their best albums. In that, in that sense, in terms of how um, you get so much from it, and it's not like you know, every song has its own character too. Yeah. Like it doesn't. It's not like you know. It's like oh, I really like this song, so they made three versions of that song. It's like now every song stands out on its own. It's funny because it's,
1: it's a level of dynamism. Uh, across the album that they kind of had been missing since the 70s There's mm-hmm. obviously no knock to to the 80s records which are which are fantastic mm-hmm. but you know you have probably their most underrated record in rockarola um and the it, it, most people even tend to sort of mentally start priest's career at sad wings of destiny which totally have, fair one of the yeah,
0: one I, of the best records of all time so <laughs> I, I have to admit rockarola is is not one of my favorites and i do kind of it, it's sort of that more of a footnote where i do think of sad wings is the real beginning of the band and and you know and, and not like everyone has to agree with me on that but well it's I, just my I, feeling
1: i i don't i i think that's actually like a tremendously common Thought like from what I've experienced with people, I mean, even mm-hmm. even from the band, like they they'll include like little little glimmers from rock and roll, like every now and again you'll get like they'll they'll play like a lick from Caviar and Meths or something like that. But mm-hmm. you know, you you don't. They start oh, even they only start really honoring their legacy with Sad Wings Ford. But you know, you have that one which is draws a lot from from their prog rock influence like Mm -hmm. because they were obviously they were a a british band in the early 70s they loved progressive rock that's just you're not gonna avoid that especially since the early roots of heavy metal were like joined at the hip with prog rock they were basically the same thing for for a stretch and then you know you have into sad wings and you have sin after sin and which are tremendously balanced records like you'll have absolute rippers Next to these very placid and almost atmospheric ballads, you'll then have these length or more programmatic tracks. You'll, and over the course of the 70s, from about like stained class forward, they sort of stained class is both the last record of their very proggy early period, or not very mm-hmm. proggy, but proggy for them, um, yeah. early period going in, as well as it's the first record of their more honed. Uh, like, and deliberately less dynamic period that would stretch into the 80s, where they were like, we found the Judas Priest thing, the definable this is us and no one else thing, and we're going to zero in on that. And basically the span from stand class up to ram it down, you're not going to find a record that I think is bad. You'll find a record that, like, point of entry, I think, is probably the weakest of that bunch, Um just because I'm like, I don't... <laughs> I don't need to hear heading out to the highway ever again in my life. No hate on the song. I just—it's uh, one of my favorites. <laughs> I, it, I can, I, I can follow that. I just like from from Priest. I want a little bit more
0: girth with the guitars. Although, funny, like my favorite track on that album, because because that is the one that's kind of like because it's it's right in between British Steel and Scream for Vengeance, which are two of their most iconoclastic albums. Even if they're not your favorites they're probably the two albums people think of the most when they think of priests in, in terms of like classic priests. Um, yeah. Certainly they were the ones that broke them into America, I think. Um, and and the thing with, with point of entry is <laughs> it had a number of things not going for it. And, and part of it's just some of the songs just aren't that great, but I mean, a track like <laughs> solar planes is one of my all time favorite pre songs. Like I just love the vibe and feel of that track.
1: I I overlook honestly a lot of the album cuts from that one. Like no No fault to it. Like that that's that's more on me than on them. It's just mm. I it opens with heading out to the highway and my brain is just like this again. Um, like I was I, I mentioned before, like in, in in our very first episode that I was like a music video hound when I was growing up because, you know, it was the early to mid 90s. So music mm-hmm. videos were plentiful. Um, if, if you were interested in any genre under the sun, you could find them. So I'd watch The Metal Block. And I've seen the video for heading out to the highway oh, where yeah. they stand in front of what looks like a Looney Tunes painted highway board. <laughs> it's it's
0: like comically lo-fi. I um, mean, I mean, you know, between that and you know, <laughs> I think it's the same album because the one I think the one that gets the most <laughs> eyebrow raises is probably uh, and I gotta look up the track <laughs> name, but I think it was on Point of Entry was a uh, yeah Hot Rocket. Like that <laughs> I, is that is the one I, that everyone's I, like it's like oh you oh really Rob Halford was gay like that wasn't <laughs> a hint and everyone just didn't know like I love like
1: there there's an entire
0: song on Defenders of the Faith about going down on a dude well yes and even the PMRC um you know put that song <laughs> on their list um mostly cuz they were thinking it was again when you make a song about oral sex ambiguous it's like everyone thinks it's straight when it's like uh, actually turns out it's not um, yeah or but that's the other thing I think that's the great thing about Halford is that when when his sexuality became something that people were aware of because he, he became open yeah. about it um, it's interesting how a lot of the songs in terms of relationships or in terms of sex or any connotations of sex, he always wrote it ambiguous enough where you could take those lyrics and now look at it in any kind of gendered fashion. Like yeah. in very rarely other than maybe some of the earliest songs. Um, is it ever very specifically, you know, boy woman or, you know, anything like that?
1: Yeah. It's, I, I think it's sin after sin. It's the last time that he specifically sings the line like woman or girl. And yeah, in a song and that's that's mostly in the ballads after that he deliberately goes a lot more vague um or not vague he, he deliberately makes them more formed around the notion of of a relationship rather mm-hmm. than of a specific relationship like
0: yeah.
1: we obviously there's there's like the kind-hearted very loving like looking ba- ribs of looking back at judas priest i mean like how, how did anyone not not know um and it is worth noting for for people who are maybe like younger than us that it is a lot of that is done with like with a great deal of love for because especially for mm-hmm. like for me as a young man in in the 90s, like I'm straight. But he was one of the first uh, that was around the same time of him coming out that like this is, again, weird to think about that was around the same time that Freddie Mercury came out Because we only really knew that Freddie Mercury was uh, was bisexual in like the very early '90s, there had been rumors, but he had oh, denied a lot of things.
0: Yeah. Well, Mercury died in the early '90s, didn't he? Like 90... He died in
1: '93, I think.
0: Yeah, '92 or '93.
1: But right.
0: Halford, um, well,
1: Halford came out.
0: At... He came out. Well, when he was after he left Priest. Um, oh, I
1: thought I thought it was around the same time as him leaving.
0: No, I I want to say it was like the mid to the late '90s. He came out. Oh. I guess
1: I guess I still would have been relatively young so my brain and my my old man brain is doing that thing where it's like <laughs> you were a boy then which is one time like
0: <laughs> all of the 90s is one year um it, it sometimes does feel that way um, but, but but I know what you mean in terms of like we should clarify for people who are thinking like what do the hell do they mean when they're saying like you know when no one knew it, it it's this weird thing as priest fans and certainly as metal fans were because Halford was the first, certainly the first prominence, um, metal, extremely musician. prominent, yeah. like metal two, musician that's... to come out of the closet. And, you know, since then we even haven't had that many. I and mean, we, we know the members of cynic who were also in death came mm-hmm. out and we know, uh, the key port is from faith No war. And obviously I think, you know, Probably the, the shockwave in the black metal community was when Gaul came out, um, but even then, like I, you know, if I really went looking, we could only pick a few, probably other examples of it. So when Halford came out, it was such a huge deal, and it, and it's you know, and, and the reason we're saying it too is obviously because the fact that Priest started that metal look that is very much based in the bondage, the BDSM scene which was always a scene that w- definitely had very clear connections to, um, to the LGBT community. Um, and Halford admits he, he went to an LGBT bondage uh, store and, and got like the leather and studs and the handcuffs and the bullwhip and everything. And that's where it came from. But when he went on stage with that, no one made that connection. Or at least no one, <laughs> certainly no one in the media made that is a very clear connection yeah and the i mean it it, it's
1: been it's been commented on on to death but for for positive reason um that in in the kind of culture that we live in where obviously things are things seem to be better now for lgbt uh members of the lgbt community in america now than they were Mm -hmm. you know In in the 90s and especially in the 80s, the 70s, the 60s were very vicious, very horrible things could happen um, on a state level. I mean, not not that things are perfect now, but um, to have someone so prominent and so like universally loved in metal, like Mm -hmm. I can't it's hard to think of anyone as literally universally beloved as Rob Halford. Like, I don't know anyone who's like even neutral positive on him. It's like, but, holy shit, I love that guy. He's so good. Like,
0: I, well, I mean, you mentioned Freddie Mercury, which is certainly. Yeah. You know, like, there's a weird example of that where it was like, you know, again, where it's this weird thing. Um, like, I, th- I want to say it was like a Playboy magazine or, or some magazine like that, but it was like the Russian version of it. And they had this weirdly homophobic article where it was like 10 gay men that we don't care are gay. And it was, it was,
1: that's a a terrible way to approach that. (laughs) It it
0: is, but it, it, it does convey a sort of cultural truth where there are some gay men who have come out who are so beloved by the masses that a lot of homophobes will look the other way. Not everyone, not all of them, but it's this weird in like Freddie Mercury, I think it's put into that. Um, Because I remember in the article they mentioned like Freddie Mercury and Halford and I forget who else. But I remember just thinking it was like, God, this is such a bizarre cultural artifact of of uh, Russia or, you know, Russian masculinity, the bizarre contortions of
1: the uh, bigoted mind um or it's like can't you just be like oh that's cool i love your records like it's not hard (laughs) like
0: you know i i think it's like brian Posey, you know making a joke out of it where it's like you know you know how guys will be like oh that's not gay don't worry or like no homo you know which is it's like who cares right it's like but you know and and brian so brian makes the joke you know it's like oh if you do something gay just yell slayer and it's not gay it's just magically. It's not gay. Now. <laughs> it, it certainly, I think, in definitely with an older generation of us, if we still remember being in school, how gay was a slur that was used a lot. I mean, yeah, I definitely remember was... growing up.
1: I have a lot of like, uh, obviously, look back and cringe at the kinds of things that you thought were acceptable when you were younger of like, oh, that's very flippantly saying that kind of stuff. Um, Even even in like an environment where obviously cultural tides were changing, I I don't want to act like I was like magically somehow more culturally aware than other people because I'm so wonderful or anything like that. It was it was Mm. a lot of time and place and circumstance that there were people like, hey, you know, you know your your friend is gay. Is that does that make any sense to be to be acting this way? And I was like, well, you know, it's not really the kind of. And you know, you get older, you get get wiser. But I can only I can only imagine the mindset that people you know before that would have had. Like I I was lucky enough that my parents were like, no, we've we had gay friends pass away mm-hmm. during the AIDS epidemic. So you're gonna mm-hmm. watch your mouth with that stuff. Like you're you're gonna right. watch what you say. But not everyone did. And that's where, like, this is sort of the heartbreaking thing about Judas Priest is you look back at when that news broke and it wasn't a universally positive response then by a long shot. There were a lot of obviously there were a lot of people who were like, OK, that's neat. I love Judas Priest. Um, but then there were. There were still fairly big pockets of people who were like. Because we we've always had that kind of problem in metal. It's the same thing that can drive um, misogyny in metal. Uh, that can drive yep. racism in metal. Uh, is this weird fixation that seems to come more from the insecurities of people that already possess privilege that then they see and they're like, "No, that's that's bad. You're different." Um, thankfully, well, you
0: that may... yeah. I was oh, just going to say it. It reminds me of how. Um... You know, like if you were to compare it in terms of, you know, LGBT to African American, how in American culture there has, especially probably since the 70s, on this weird thing where if there's a particular black celebrity who is so mainstream that a lot of people don't think of them in terms of their race. And you get that in the cases of people like um, OJ Simpson and Michael Jordan. Um, and I'm just thinking about that because I've been watching the Michael Jordan Chicago Bulls documentary and and they definitely Blast touched Dance. on that. Yeah. Yeah. Which yeah, is really good. So good. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> total total tangent off of what we're talking about, but um but you know it all kind of ties into even like what I said with the, with the with the um homophobic uh you know Playboy article or whatever it was that there is this weird thing where And you're right, not everyone did accept it with Halford, but definitely I think by the time he rejoined Priest, like, because when Halford came out, I think it was only a year or two later, maybe, I started listening to metal, so I can't really say definitively what the reaction of the metal scene was like at that time. I don't have any personal knowledge of that, but I remember when Priest got to back together, and there was never, I never got a sense of anyone saying like, oh, well, I'm not going to see them because Halford's gay. Or I'm not going to go do that or you shouldn't listen to Priests cuz they're gay. It was like, no. Like everyone was just like, it's fucking Priest, man. Fuck yeah, yeah. Priest. Halford,
1: I remember when Halford re-rejoined, re-rejoined? No, he rejoined for the first time. <laughs> he only left the band once. Yeah. Um I I had basically just started listening to metal. So like Angel of Retribution was the first Priest record that came out when I was like you know, like, I'm definitely a metalhead. Like, I remember when mm. I think it was like Demolition came out, but that was more like a cooler, older cousin or like friend of my brother was like, I got the new Judas Priest album and it was terrible. Um, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I, I remember the atmosphere there and of being like just more one a profound celebration. And mm, yep. one of the band in general, and two, it seemed that, At least and again, ultimately, I can only speak to the magazines that that I was reading at the time and to the people that were around me at the time. But the like the acceptance of all of Rob Halford's personhood, including including his queer identity, was sort of this very big thing where it's like if if that if that in any way contributed to making Judas. Great. Fantastic. Love it. Love it. Very glad for you. And then, you know, obviously the the sense has evolved now since he's become sort of like uh, a mild Instagram celebrity for the world of heavy metal, where everyone's like, "I, sure. I, I love, I love my cute gay uncle Rob Halford. He's so he's so peppy <laughs> on Instagram. I, I, I can't impress this on anyone enough. His Instagram feed is the best one, absolutely the best one."
0: Just. He's, 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 I mean, any interview with, with Halford is always a joy. Like just, he's, I mean, he's definitely one of the best people metal just in terms of the personality he has on stage and off stage. Like he just, he always feels like, especially probably since the late eighties, he's had this vibe of like uncle Rob, like just that feeling where he's just like, he is the elder statesman of metal yeah, and 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 anyone who really loves metal, it's like Halford feels like family. Um, yeah, which I'm sure is weird for him, because um, it's like Rob, come to my house, we'll make you dinner. It's like I've got my own plans. Um, <laughs>
1: um, yeah, it, it, it's it's on because like Black Sabbath have always felt kind of outside of it all. Like obviously mm-hmm. they helped that they helped found metal as we know it um like obviously heavy rock had existed prior but then you know with sabbath we finally get like okay this this needs a new name yeah. but they always seemed kind of aloof not not out of any disdain just like when i don't when i think of geezer butler or tony iommi i think about like like gods looming above the earth i don't i don't think about people who live on the on planet earth um <laughs> and then you think about maybe the closest parallel to Judas Priest, which would be Iron Maiden. And even mm-hmm. then, as much as we get these very human jocular bits, especially now with Bruce Dickinson. and yeah. um, Even then, it's, you know, they, they very much they, they go off and you especially look at their live show and it feels uh, not just larger than life, but it feels like they're emerging from a book or like from a cartoon or something. Meanwhile, there is yeah. always something very street level. About Judas Priest, which is bizarre to say, considering at one point their stage was a giant robot lion um, <laughs> yep. They could extend fifteen feet into the air and breathe fire.
0: Um, <laughs> well, twice, well, twice with that. I mean, they, they had you know Defenders, which was the giant lion thing, and then Turbo, which was the giant uh, robot. Uh, yeah, that, like gripped <laughs> that gripped how like I remember like I got I forget the name of it but the Judas Priest DVD like had all the music videos and then it had a live set like recorded from the Turbo tour, um, which is kind of peculiar, <laughs> especially um, <laughs> because as as we discussed, you know some people lo- love that and some people don't but um, you know I mean they opened it with um, uh f- fuck three burning <laughs> is that is I. No, it. I gotta look up the DVD too because I'm sure it's. Like Isn't the point DVD the like curves. Metallology or something? No, it wasn't that one. Like, <laughs> I actually want to get make sure I get this right. Um, okay, just, just keep talking about Priest while I try to find this. Um, oh, it was uh, Electric Eye. Electric Eye. Electric Eye. Yeah, and and you know the live set opens with. Did it open? Wait, it maybe it opened with the electric eye, and um, which is a great song. They actually brought out in the cold back uh, for the last tour. I caught them playing. Yeah, I was. I was actually. I had a. Uh, I had a conversation a while
1: ago now with with um, a fellow music writer named Andy O'Connor, who's written for a bunch of places. Oh yeah, um, I know Andy. Very specifically about out in the cold, where we were talking about. See also. I really digs turbo and we were just talking about like yeah i can't believe people sleep on this record and the very first words out of his mouth afterwards it's like yeah out in the cold is like like just a mean song that is that is a killer track yeah they, it also they... makes it mysterious when people are like all right this is glam metal and you listen to it and you're like that that this makes you exclusively think about hairspray like
0: this like uh, well i think it was the visuals at the time i mean certainly like on that tour like that the dvd i mentioned like they've got the poofy hair like they got the hairspray going Uh, (laughs) like make no doubt about it they were definitely going for that look and raw you know it's one of the few times since the 70s where rob grew his hair out long Kind of, he had a slick yeah he had the slick back yeah Yeah. (laughs) but he definitely had that kind of that interesting look uh, to it. Um, I was gonna say earlier with like the transition of that period to painkiller. I think it is interesting how like like you said, Turbo and Ram It Down were recorded in nineteen eighty-five, and then of course, Painkiller is eighty-nine or so. So in that time, you know, they get to see the rise of thrash. You know, they see Metallica, you know, Master Puppets, Injustice for All, and especially Injustice for All coming out really probably not that long before they started working on Painkiller. And then, of course, on top of that, you have the trial they had where they were put on um, trial for being accused for putting suicidal lyrics uh, that caused two boys to uh, shoot themselves in the face. Um, unfortunately, you know, they were found not to be guilty of that, of, you know, having s- submissive, uh, um, having submersive or so being tongue-tied subversive, <laughs> I got you, <laughs> yeah. uh, yeah. In, in the lyrics. Um, so it's just interesting how all of that kind of combined along with the other influences, like you mentioned, like, you know, the new drummer from racer X and then everything else kind of leading into that. And I do think definitely like witnessing the rise of like bands like Metallica and Slayer had to play a part where it's like I think probably when they were working on, you know, in 1985, they were thinking like, okay, what's the future of metal right now? Probably Motley Crue. And then by the time like 88, 89 comes around, it's like "Ah, Metallica. And
1: the fact that they were able to pull it off, too, which is like. Because that's that's sort of been the recurring theme of Judas Priest's reinventions is that they not only are able to sniff like the the current, at least a current mood within heavy metal, uh, yeah. but then actually be able to execute it. And this is something that surprisingly um, follows Rob Halford's solo stuff as well. So like we see obviously the band Halford, but also the band mm-hmm. Fight. Where he was drawing a lot from both Nine Inch Nails and Pantera. He he would he in particular was massively into Pantera in the '90s. He was like, we sometimes hear the most beneficial thing you could say about Jugulator or Demolition, the two records that were made with Tim Ripper mm. uh, Tim the Ripper Owens, um, are that they are competent Pantera pastiches done by the members of <laughs> Judas Priest. Um, the amount that that will appeal to you is obviously eye of the beholder, but that's, um, you, you get. Interestingly, the exact same approach coming from, from Halford's, uh, solo stuff and like side bands at the time. Um, in my opinion, a lot more successfully. Like, I think that when it comes to nineties priest material, I sort of mentally superimpose the Halford and fight records over top of the priest records themselves, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, that's uh, like we see. Uh, interestingly enough, that that makes the perception of Angel of Retribution er, is that same Angel of Retribution? Yes, it is. <laughs> I I can't believe I was hesitating there. Um, it makes the perception of that one a little bit ahistorical as well. That like it's not, it's not really. A reinvention for the band like you hear oh. if you a b the riffs of angel of retribution to jugulator to demolition even to mm-hmm. painkiller you're like this is the same very much the same band if anything the it's more that this is going to sound weird we didn't really give tim owens a chance i feel like if Rob Halford had been on Jugulator demolition even if the songs weren't different we would respond to those albums differently
0: yes and when i, I
1: say think. we when i say we i include myself cuz it's hard for me to put them on and hear someone else singing over Judas Priest and think anything but like no get out this isn't your house like <laughs> go join <laughs> go join Ice Thurf Kim like
0: <laughs> yeah and even there i don't <laughs> yeah and <no>, he's he
1: <laughs> i feel the same um and it's weird cuz like he's clearly a technically gifted vocalist. Disagree with him on politics very deeply, but you know in terms of like sheer well, musicality yeah, he's clearly gifted, but
0: yeah. Tip the 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 <laughs> the poor the poor hand that Tim's been dealt with was joining two bands and obviously one far larger than the other, but joining yeah. two bands replacing very beloved singers. Yeah. And and kind of, you know, you're going to get the shit thrown at you for that. And it's just going to be – and there's always going to be the case of fans where, like, well, this isn't – it just belies how important sometimes a singer solidifies the sound of a particular band, uh, especially when they're a clean singer, um, because you definitely hear more of the particularities of the voice um, than some extreme metal singing. Um, It depends on who, but – so yeah, he he just always got dealt kind of like the raw hand, in in that. Um, but I, yeah, I agree. If if Halford had been on those elms, I think we'd be evaluating them far differently.
1: I mean, it's it's interesting because there's. There's actually a number of parallels between Judas Priest and Iron Maiden to the and like over the yes. span of decades to to the degree that it's like it almost feels like it it, 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 it feels like a cosmic joke. Like, yeah. are you the same band? Are you just literally the same people? Do you just like we put out too much music, no one would believe it's us. We have to change our name. Um <laughs> But we have this we have a similar thing where like the compositions on Brave New World are functionally near identical to the ones on the X factor and virtual 11 to the point where there are literally songs on brave new world that were written during like tracking for virtual 11, but they were like, yeah, mm-hmm. we don't really, uh, let's not finish these off. Let's save them for later. Yeah. Um, and the fan response, if you say, even if you say as much as, you know, the X factor and virtual 11 are fine. If you don't come out gunning against them, people are like, "What are you talking about? This is revisionist. They're terrible." Uh, meanwhile, it's it's a universal thought that Brave New World is a good record. The amount yeah. that you think is good will be different. For me, it's my favorite Maiden record. For other people, it's not. Get that. But y- no one's gonna abide you anyone saying that it's bad though. And same with same with Judas Priest, where it's like the songwriting between Painkiller and Angel of Retribution is not wildly different i mean i think pretty clearly they still even if you had rob halford painkiller would be the most successful most coherent of those albums i don't think that's that's really debatable but we sometimes view them as like somehow wildly far off and it's like mm. i love rob halford i mean obviously we, we covered that pretty in depth like he's universally beloved not just as a vocalist but as a person as like what he brings to metal um but you know, Judas Priest is still four other dudes, like they're,
0: yeah.
1: and especially like one of one of the other weird uh, weird parallels between Judas Priest and Iron Maiden is the fact that they're they're bassist led groups. Although mm-hmm. in the case of Judas Priest, the fact that Ian Hill, like he is Judas Priest, yeah, you could the replace almost member, yeah. Not just longest running, he's the only founding member, like, by the time of their debut, I think, like, near everyone had been replaced at some point. I don't remember exactly, but I know that it had been, like, quite a bit of of shift. Um, But that very steadying hand, like, it... Although, I, again, the, the interesting difference is that it, with Iron Maiden, obviously, Steve Harris shows his influence on the group. Um, he isn't Uh, he doesn't come across from the outside at least to me as domineering but like it feels very much that if Steve says no we're not doing that they won't
0: <laughs> well the other thing too I think Steve also puts his prog rock influences into Maiden, in his bass work and his songwriting yeah. to a further extent than, than Ian did and Ian's a solid part of the band but also I feel like the songcraft is a little leans a little more toward you know what used to be tipped in and down in, 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 um, downing. in uh, downing. Yeah. You know, uh, we, we do probably need to wrap up in a little bit, but um, one thing I wanted to mention, um, which I thought would be an interesting observation to, to include at the end here is um, have you ever seen the movie metalhead, the Icelandic movie? Uh No. I recommend it it's probably not the easiest thing to find like you'd probably have to go on like itunes or amazon and buy it um which i think is what i did um like i don't think it's streaming anywhere uh i did i'll look it up and let you know but there's a scene where i mean long story short the main character is this um young woman who's living in with her family in a very isolated part of iceland and her um older brother died when she was young and her older brother was a metalhead. So she kind of latches on in her grief to what he was. So she becomes a metalhead and she, you know, takes it very serious and it becomes a big deal. And she feels very isolated from the whole community. And she finally, and not to give anything away, she finally meets someone who kind of connects with her on that. And they're in a car and they're listening to Judas Priest's victim changes. And she kind of stops the conversation she's having with this person and just talks about how, like, the twin guitar leads that opening up Victim of Changes, she's like, this is the birth of metal. Um, In a way, I kind of, I feel that in that, like, Sabbath always will and should be kind of seen as like the first metal band. But the major difference is that Sabbath never thought of themselves as metal. Like, yeah they, they kind always of saw it, themselves yeah. as a rock band they invented it by accident in a way and kind of just kept rolling with it and i feel like priest was the first one that kind of felt like we're doing something that's we know we're doing something different than rock and oh i think it's metal and yeah that's what we are we're a metal band
1: yeah, there's a certain stiffness to Judas Priest that is necessary for for metal. Like, that's where we get the like the harsh downpicking of thrash, which, you know, obviously yeah. then gave birth to death metal and black metal. And this, you know, it has lots of roots, but you can trace it to that moment in 70s Priest where they started really critically evaluating what they were doing and going like, no, different, 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 like – you get it starting with the Ripper and Victim of Changes, but then yep. you have it building up to, you know, that sort of eruptive moment where it goes from Stained Class into Killing Machine. Mm-hmm. And you're like, I don't know, like I play Sabbath debut and then Killing Machine. And one of them feels more metal to me, like undeniably and only heavy metal, like yeah. doesn't sound like hard rock, doesn't like it's just heavy metal.
0: I, so I think you can yeah, say that in terms of how like like Sabbath you can kind of see how they influenced hard rock bands that came after that wouldn't be considered metal in a way that priests kind of like anyone who says they're influenced by priests is like, oh, they're they're a metal band.
1: Yeah. You you become heavy metal when you start taking on that priest influence. I mean, that's where we even get um like the birth of the birth of thrash as we know it was just like I really love hardcore records and I really love like Judas Priest and the new wave of British heavy metal stuff that was it's it's important to remember the new wave of British heavy metal was a bunch of bands inspired by Priest yeah. Priest had been around for a while at that point And the big thing was just sort of like, oh, they're amazing. Oh, we should do that.
0: Um, well, I mean, yeah, it's not a stretch to say if you take Exciter and punk it up a bit you get thrash in, in just as well, you know, obviously motorhead and everything else that went into thrash, but, but yeah, I mean, you, there's definitely a clear link, I think between like Judas priest to diamond head to Metallica. Yeah. And even Judas priest to merciful fate
1: we absolutely wouldn't have metal as we know it. Like there, it, it it's also one of the weird things where it's like doom metal largely feels like this other wing versus Judas priest. And then all of the rest of extreme metal and traditional heavy metal. Yeah. Like doom metal is this little branch that came off of Sabbath and I, you know, obviously is still interrelated with all that other stuff. They still cross over quite a bit, but you know, there's this whole other massive trunk that comes yeah, and very interestingly, you can point to like a single band for that and be like, it's
0: well, even Judas that, Priest is yeah. like like Doom Doom does have that Judas Priest influence, I think, in that the Doom that came in the eighties where like I think Witchfinder like Candlemas General Mass and, and Candlemass definitely have Priest in their sound. Um but but you're right that you're able to do Doom and Stoner Metal uh that you can kind of sidestep priest and maiden even the very early priest and maiden
1: yeah so on the topic of of priest there's there's two simple questions that i have for you that are that are the most uh the most important priest questions uh the first one is 70s priest or 80s priest
0: <laughs> i mean I feel like the the meme of the Uh, the girl with the tacos, like, can't we have both? (laughs) (laughs) No. Um, (laughs) uh, I mean, okay, I'll put put it this way. If I could only, if I could live on a desert island with only one priest album for the rest of my life, it would be Stain Class.
1: I'm definitely a 70s priest guy. Um, It's funny, because my favorite priest record is probably Defenders of the Faith, but, like,
0: and that would be my 80s I get, pick.
1: I get the stretch from, from rock a up to Stand Class. That's literally probably the best run in heavy metal uh, up there with Metallica's first four. Those mm-hmm. are the only two that I think that... And, like, you know, you have Iron Maiden's Golden Period. I think that's also better than Sabbath's Golden Period, which is maybe a hot take. But, like, Priest at their best, I think, is just, like, better. Uh, and the last one... Uh, which ties into that, is Priest or Maiden? Mm. <laughs> Again, it's why, the most why, obvious why Judas Priest question
0: that? in the world. <laughs> I mean, as a Judas Priest fan, yes. It's uh, on a hard... uh God. Um, right? I Like, a gun pointed in my head, I guess I would say Priest... But then, like, I kind of feel like I'm like the guy. in Monty <laughs> Pi- I feel like I'm the guy in Monty Python who's at the bridge who says blue. No, wait. Ah! <laughs> it's uh. uh, in my ideal world, a world where we
1: we've done away with bigotry. We've done away with want and need. We're in a post scarcity society and we don't have these bigger problems that take you know, especially as an adult. I love heavy metal, but there's other things that take up my mind and take up my energy that honestly deserve more time. In a perfect world, however, when those needs are met and those troubles are gone... This is the one thing we will fight and kill over, is Judas Priest or Sorry. Iron Maiden. This is the only conflict that matters. <laughs> also, which of the first four Metallica records, if you could only have one? But that's a, that's a whole other discussion that we don't have to have now.
0: When when, Me, when when religion disappears, we'll fight over Star Wars versus Star Trek. I kind of feel like no. that's the...
1: <laughs> no, we're going to get rid of those two in order to clear out room for Priest versus Maiden. <laughs>
0: Thank you for listening.
1: You can subscribe to Screaming Bloody Oranges, the Invisible Oranges podcast, via Apple
0: Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Podbean, and other streaming services. We'll make a post on our website at www.invisibleoranges.com
1: to accompany the release of each episode. Visit us anytime for more in-depth heavy metal coverage that goes a step above and beyond.